So we've got to the hotel um, and now we've got a team meeting. We've got uh, Massey, Jess, Kiara, me and Ned. And Ned is still in the top that he purchased from H&M. Just, just, just go around the room. Let's start with Jess, actually. Jess, just your thoughts on... Because I think Ned looks blimmin' cracking. I, I think the, definitely the colour suits him. I've, I've tried, felt the fabric. Yeah. And that's, yeah. a, that's a 9 out of 10 for me as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's a slim fit. Looks good on you. And do you know he wears it well for a 52-year-old? Both 52. Um, uh, Kiara, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think more or less the same. In between 8.5 oh, and 9. Oh, thank you, Kiara. No, it's, no, no, it's... Massey's going to be more honest. No, but like... It, where is it? Where? It's it's like, the orange is one of my favourite colours. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Can we just say that? We're, is it going to translate to England, though? You know, I, I think I maybe it is a bit too Italian. Yes, Very, it's, it is quite Euro, but in a, in a classy way, Ned. Let's but, move over to, to a man from the continent. <laughs> Massey. I think it's, it's a 7 out of 10. It's, oh, uh, no. it's uh, like, like the American... yeah. Yeah, Police probably. telefilm, you know, like Starsky Hutch. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch, I like the cultural reference. Yeah. Yeah. It's, good, it's good, I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's like wearing a beer mat. It's like wearing one of those drip mats on a tr- <laughs> It's like a drip mat thing. Highly absorbent. So yeah. if I do spill any of this beer, it's fine, doesn't matter. Just mop it up, brilliant stuff. You could match it with your red, your, your red new glasses. With my red Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tomorrow they would need to see that. Well, uh, well, just checking out. So it's it's basically a resounding thumbs up from the team. Well done, Ned. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the third instalment of our special on-road series of podcasts. Sigma Sports presents the Giro Unplugged with me, Matt Stevens. Uh, basically, it's more behind-the-scenes madness or not so mad. Um, Things are slowing down as we get deep into the third week. I'm a little bit puffed out. Um, But basically, this is from the heart of the Giro d'Italia, and I'm delighted to have alongside me again with a pair of headphones on, and we're actually using Ned's recording system. Um, It's Ned Bolting. Hi, Ned. (laughs) Hello, hello, Matt. Hi. Hello. Why it's just so weird to say hello to you. It's It's quite odd, isn't it? Yeah, it's deeply odd, because I've just spent the last two and a half weeks with you, and I've just got out of a car... And I've just travelled across Italy for five hours with you. So it's quite unnatural to say, hello, Ned, and for me to go, hello, Matt. It is a bit weird. We'll leave it in anyway, because I quite like the awkwardness. Uh, Ned, we, we heard in the opening, uh, we, what we call, it's called a cold opening, about your uh, coral-coloured purchase from a, um, a well-known department store, well, men's and women's wear store, clothing uh, store. Can you describe it to us a little bit more? Because I, I can't see you not wearing it. Uh, and, and actually, how, it, how you felt the first time you wore it. Um, under pressure, uh, the first time I wore it was, I think, when I came down to, to uh, present it to that panel uh, who you encouraged then to pass comment on it. And uh, uh, by the way, you put them all in the podcast without any kind of consent on their behalf. But that's obviously how you roll. Uh, I'm coming, becoming quite established. But Coral, that's interesting. Um, that's a new adjective. I don't know where you have you. Has that suddenly come to you? Because It's a colour. No, no, absolutely, but it's quite, it's quite an accurate colour because we were struggling for a while to figure out what colour it was. I thought it was apricot briefly, but it's a little bit peachier than that. Might actually pe- might be peach. There's an element of salmon there, but primarily the, the, the colour is a red herring or, an, or salmon or coral, coral herring. Terracotta herring. A terracotta her- herring because the real notable thing is the toweling. 
<laughs> Sorry, I, I'm laughing, but we, I said directional mic, but I did do a titter. Yeah, you did. Just slightly off my, um, there was a, yeah, it's the toweling, um, which was baffling. And it was absolutely searing hot, wasn't it, the day I decided to trial it, well up in the 30s. And weirdly, it was quite, it was wicking the sweat quite effectively. So it's got a degree of technological sport about it as well. Technological sport. Because I, I, you, you wore it, it's buttonless, it's loose, it's very, very European. I, it, I think you look like a real man about town, a, a man of confidence, a man who's travelled. Amanda likes his cuisine, um, literature, culture, um, but you couldn't wear it for a second day because it's, it's wicking was so good, it was just full of your sweat. Um, yeah. So you couldn't get a second day out of it, which is a shame. So are we going to see this top deep into the third week once you've washed it? It's been washed. It's been laundered up in the Alps. Um, we're now in the Dolomites. It was laundered in the Alps um, at some point in the Dolomites. But the weather forecast is a bit patchy, isn't it? So I'm going to have to be very careful about how I... It might actually just come out on the final day in Verona for the final individual time trial where the forecast is a little bit sunnier. So there might be a Verona um, shirt. Well, that'll be a wonderful... Um, I don't know. Um, combination. Climax, combination. Um, a sartorial climax of the Giro d'Italia. Anyway, let's move on quickly because um, we're going to have a chat in a bit. Um, after the several links that I'm looking at at the moment, this is the way this podcast is relatively well structured. Uh, but we are going to be talking about the way the race has unfolded since we last chatted, Ned. But first up... Random letter. Alert. Random email. Alert. Random tweet. Alert. It is time for a random letter, email, tweet or DM. Right, we've had some questions and comments flying in on the social machine uh, as well as our email address, which if you're interested in getting in touch, is podcast at sigmasports.com. And here are a few that the random letter generator has selected at random, because that's what it does. Uh, this is from Nigel uh, via email. And just before I do that, I'll have a sip of this beer. Ah, most cyclists would say, oh, thanks for getting in touch, Nigel. You've got the, dr- the dream job following the Jura around Italy. But do you ever get fed up with it? And what's the worst thing about your job? I'm going to ask this to both of us. Um, so for me, the worst part of the job, it is a dream job, and, and I think first up, it's an absolute privilege. I, 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 I can't believe I'm doing it, it's a brilliant job. But that, there's not that many bad things about it, even spending up to five hours at a time with Ned in the car, we somehow have a laugh, and we go off. I think if anybody was filming us inside the car, they'd think we were off our trolleys sometimes. And then there's moments of silence, then we sing, um, so even the, the hardest part of this gig for me is the driving. And sometimes you look and think, oh, God, that's a long drive. But the rest of it is just a good laugh. I'm getting tired now, though, Ned, but in a good way. I am a little bit ooh, fatigued heading into last week. What about you? Yeah, I'll go along with that. The, 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 uh, yeah, and I second all those sentiments about... Um, about I, I totted it up the other night. I think I've done something like 28 grand tours or something, so, you know, because I've done 20 tours to France, so I will do this summer. Um, uh, m- m- many fewer Giros. Giri. Um, but yeah, the, the, every second counts, doesn't it? In, in terms of you know, your days are so long, and the travel is just such a kick in the um, comestibles. Is that a word? Comestibles, uh, Niall? Can you get give us confirmation? Is comestibles a word? He's no idea. Okay. Um, uh, at the end of the day, that, that, that we we become absolutely kind of OCD about about uh, positioning the car in the right direction for an exit, which could <laughs> shave seconds off. And then any, any, even the minorest hindrance on our pursuit for, you know, getting the day closed out induces instant GTI, doesn't it? Which you probably need to explain. 
Yeah, GTI is a phenomenon which only happens in Grand Tours when you're slightly impatient. It's called, we, we call it, and we coined it, I think, last year, the first time we worked on a Grand Tour together, when we realised it was happening um, alarmingly regularly, uh, generally on the exit of a mountain, um, or actually anything, getting into a toll booth, not being able to wind the window down, reaching your arm out, it's just small things, and we call it GTI Grand Tour Intolerance. Um, have we had a lot of that this year? It's not been too bad on the GTI front. We've been incompetent, but not necessarily intolerant. <laughs> you keep pinching your fingers in things. <laughs> Which would be very funny. No, I mean, it flows out, it flares up like once every other day. There'll be a little flare up, but it, it sinkers very quickly, like a straw fire. And it can be countered with GTE, can't it? And we've got bundles of GTE, which is Grand Tour Experience. We have, and, and, and just something as small as pointing the car, as Ned just alluded to, pointing the car in the right direction, in the direction of travel post-stage, is something you just can't teach. You cannot teach that. You, you, it's just, it's vocational, it happens. You can actually teach it though, can't you? You can, if you could tell people what to do, yeah. You go like this, you'd say, at the end of the stage, um, consider which direction you need to travel in and place the car facing that direction. So that's how you'd teach it. That's, I mean, thank you for pulling me up on that one. Um, by the way, um, our producer, Niall, has got in, in contact using uh, the computer. Comestible, um, formal, humorous. It's a noun, an item of food, a fridge groaning with comestibles. So as a, as a colloquialism, I'm having that. Yeah, yeah I'm having it. Um, now, Lancelot Black. Thank you very much indeed, Nigel. That was quite a good answer, I think, uh, from us. Uh, blown smoke of our backsides there. But, uh, Lancelot Black, another person's turned up. Hi, mate. Uh, Lancelot Black on Instagram, does his moustache provide aero cycling gains? When you say his moustache, I guess he means mine, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know. I've never, I've not measured it and I don't intend to because most of the cycling I do these days is, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just for fun. So... It could do though. I remember when I was when Boardman, who I worked with, a you know ITV Boardman, Boardman, <laughs> Olympic bloke as we yes. call him. Um, I remember when he was deeply into you know the the, the research and development of you know skin suits etc. He would often talk to me about the little bits when you're sitting on an airplane and you look at an airplane's wing. You sometimes see little tiny little wiry bits sticking up on it. Very important because they break the airflow. And I'm thinking that the individual strands of your tash might have a similar effect. But that presupposes that your face is as smooth as an aeroplane's wing otherwise, uh, which, looking at you now, at quite a close range, because we're sharing this one microphone, <laughs> I can confirm it, it isn't really. But, I mean, that's not, I'm, not, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying anything about your face, really, except it's not like an aeroplane's wing. <laughs> if you want to get in touch about anything at all, because uh, literally anything at all, me and had me and Ned appear to be happy. Me and Had, uh, we're starting to forget things, and I think we're definitely running out of words. And Ned, you, you gave us a big stat earlier on, 28 grand tours, but you've already roughly worked out using rudimentary mathematics how many hours we spent talking and we've still got a week to go. Was it, what was it in the, in the environs of? I think I worked it out on, on my run just before we started commentating on stage 15. I think it was up to about 76 hours. So then, then add on yesterday's stage, that was well over five hours of commentary, wasn't it? Uh, we we're over 80 hours and it's going to be deeply into well over 100 by the end of it. I've just been brought a little, uh, just to add some context, um, a couple of little amuse bouches, a little bit of uh, salami, some, uh, some bread and salted anchovies on cheese on bread, uh, which is like a little um, extra. It's lovely. Uh, it looks good. Thank you. Oh, but, oh, butter. I think it's butter. Sorry. Um, right, we've, we've gone off on a bit of a ramble, so I want to do that bit again. If you want to get in touch about anything at all, we're on social media, at Real Stevens, and or at Sigma Sports, uh, and our email, podcast at sigmasports.com. Now, just like the podcast we made on last week's rest day, which seems an eternity ago now, uh, Ned and I will be chatting about the race in a little while, 
but we've also made a compilation of crudely recorded clips, just like last time, which I hope will give you a real sense of my day-to-day -day life at the Giro, including buying nonsense for Ned uh, to eat for lunch, a caravan critique, and I also give my immediate reaction to the finish of stage 10 when history was made. Check it out. One of the weird things, not weird, but things about the Giro being on the road is you're quite self-sufficient. We've got a wonderful little production team, but there's only a few of us drive everywhere. And I'm, uh, it's only six minutes before we go on air and we realise we haven't got any food. So I've had to buzz around trying to find a supermarket and haven't found the found, find, managed to find one. So I'm now buzzing up the finishing straight with my pockets. I've got a big baguette in one pocket some cakes in the other, plus uh, two fizzy mineral waters, and to try and get back to the commentary booth to make sure me and Dad have got, Ned and got some, have got some sustenance. Um, yeah, we need to get our plans better dial, but some of these towns in Italy, as beautiful as they are, the supermarkets tend to be on the edge of town, and then normal shops on the high street, 300 meters ago, a bit out of breath. Anyway, yeah, the quest for lunch, and nibbles. Um, actually, Ned's instruction was, Matt, can you get a, a load of nonsense for lunch? A load of nonsense, I know what he means. He means Haribo and Pringles. But I have got some Pringles from yesterday in my bag. Uh, pizza flavored ones. So that's gonna add a little bit of excitement to proceedings, especially given the weather today. Headwind, last section's rolly, and uh, 32 degrees. Anyway, signing off now. Finish lines in sight. Um, I'm not at a disco. Um, the race caravan, about two hours before the race finishes, always rolls into town, and I'm, I'm just by the finish. And the race caravan, all the advertising people, like floats. And there's basically a discotheque on the start line, on the finish line, shall I say. Uh, and it's so loud, it bleeds into our commentating. Just moving past a giant pink truck uh, that leads, it's a big Ivaco, giant big uh, pink Giro truck. And then basically, it's a street disco behind that. Um, uh, one of the beautiful idiosync idiosyncrasies of the Giro d'Italia. The Tour de France has one, but I think, to be honest with you, the Giro d'Italia caravan uh, and its sheer looseness is, uh, is something to uh, is something to doff your cap at, really. It's quite strange, but also wonderful. Oh, just here on uh, the finish line. Commentary done in uh, Yesi. Um, there's no J in the uh, Italian alphabet, although it's spelled JC, it's Yesi. Um, but what a win by Benjamin Grimai. Um, absolutely fantastic to, to have called that alongside Ned and see history being made the first black African to win a stage in a Grand Tour nothing short of um, uh, phenomenal quite moving actually uh, and the context it was set within such a thrilling bike race you know GC riders also in the mix as well attacking um, and the way that Alpes and Phoenix, I think, and Intermarché, Wanty-Gobert, the way they set about the stage, they're the only two teams that rode for the entire day. The break never really had any hope. Braid ride by the Marquis, but 
just sensational and and the way the sporting gesture with a 10 meters to go in Mathieu van der Poel knew that he had lost to the better man on the day that to me was uh, what this sport is all about uh, absolutely wonderful wonderful stuff just a magnificent race and um, yeah just wanted to drop that in because uh, you know I've got a really wonderful job and to, to be involved in calling a race like that nothing short of magnificent so history uh, made here at the Giro uh, and at that stage was really one for the ages I think it's fair to say So Ned I did a little bit um, after the stage you were recording the highlights and I wandered off and I did a little rec- audio recording about the significance about how I felt about that amazing win of Grimai and you had the you know, the privilege and uh, to call him home didn't you so I mean and it, it was a, a a big, enormous, momentous time and moment in our sport. And what did it mean to you? A, a whole bunch of things, really. I, mean, I think first and foremost, um, I, you know, if you strip away all the context, which which you shouldn't really, because the context is enormously important. I thought I have been won over by his personality. Um, I think he's borne the pressure, and it has been a significant amount of pressure, um, immensely well. And he seems like a, a tremendously likable, resilient character who's a diplomat and a superstar <laughs> I just I'm, I'm just kind of stunned by him as a person really um and and, and the, in terms of you know the context of the breakthrough moment for black african racing yes i mean that's been well versed hasn't it but the flip side of that coin is why is it taking so long you know i mean it's just people have been talking about this for decades as long as i've been in the sport which is now decades um and uh, it has been painfully slow in happening but um so it remains to be seen whether Grimai is an outlier or whether um you know he's an arrowhead and a, a big a big load of people come and follow on in his wake um let's hope that's the case yeah I certainly well I echo all those sentiments uh, Ned but uh, I think as a as a commentator you know thrown to you and you call him across the line it's very there was a different sort of euphoria because every stage win has its it's, it's special in, in different ways um and but that one in particular was big lorries just come by. That one in particular was it was joyous, wasn't it? And you, you, it's difficult to hold back and remain neutral. That that's when you, the, the the commentary not in neutral. The, the human side of yeah. of what you're seeing and the importance of it, the significance of it. You can't help but carry that carry that carry that through. Uh, yes, and you know you should also throw into the mix the rider who he beat and what the rider did when he beat him. You know that was a huge part of that story. I think he beat Mathieu Van der Poel. <laughs> you know, with respect to it, there's no ordinary rider he puts away there. And we saw how Van der Poel was not impeded. Van der Poel um, had, you know, in a way, the perfect opportunity to beat Grimaud again and failed. And he was at the full extent of his um, capacity and then had the good grace and extraordinary um, pr- presence of mind to give him that thumbs up when he acknowledged that he was beaten. So, um, which is something I don't, I can't, you know, immediately, occasionally you see it in, in, in summit finishes, don't you, or other contexts, but I've not seen it in a big sprint, really a rider just literally give a thumbs up. So it really added to the to the moment, actually. And it's, um, as much as I've just bigged up Grimai, I, I pay a huge tribute to Matthew Van Der Poel for his part in that story. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, quite powerful, actually. As you said, you, you often get that pat on the back when riders cross the line post-line, but before the line, to acknowledge that he'd, he'd been beaten fair and square was, was quite remarkable. And then to see that cathartic release of joy of Grimai as he punched the sky and, and roared was, was special. And, and actually reliving it now, tingling, you know, I've got the, the tingle, the, the hairs are standing up on the back of my neck. But then he popped a champagne cork into his eye. 
I mean, the how the, the one thing that you cannot you always have to remember about road racing is something ridiculous and unprecedented will happen on every Grand Tour. You know, whether it's a policeman pepper spraying the peloton in the Tour de France, or or, or, or a policeman hauling Chris Froome off and chucking him to the ground because he didn't recognise him, or it's a coach driver crashing into the finishing arch, or it's an inflatable arch, you know, collapsing on Adam Yates. Something absurd will happen, and so the Giro's just had its absurd moment, and it's such a shame. Of all the riders, of all the content, it happened to him, you know, but there you go, it's it's a ridiculous sport. Totally borderline farcical what happened and um, all the all the corks now all the bottles of bubbly have been decorked now so that doesn't happen again um, yes it's it was a shame he's uh, out of the race but it could be the Tour de France's game We've got no confirmation what he's doing next but I have a feeling looking at the composition of that team they've got to take him to the Tour de France and let's hope that's the case because that, that'll be wonderful yeah, I mean, well, well, Van der Poel, we know, is going to go to the Tour de France. Van Aert is now at a training camp at altitude with the rest of the team getting ready to rip the, you know, and then Grimai, fresh and rested, comes back. Those three, if they go deep into that race and actually have a scrap for that for that green jersey, wow, what a, what a prospect that is. Totally, totally. Right, moving on from stage 10, uh, we stayed in a fairly nice hotel and I had a little bit of an issue at breakfast time. <laughs> Well, we're halfway through the Giro d'Italia. Um, I'm in a hotel. I'm just about to have breakfast. It's not started too well, actually. Um, I had, uh, well, I've got a nice coffee. Had a, well, what I normally have is a yogurt, muesli, and a, and a kiwi, which I cut in half and eat like an egg, even though it's a fruit, well, which is completely different to an egg. So there's a similar style that I use. But um, I had a packet of, let's just move over to Ned. Um, Kellogg's extra fruit and nut. Um, little bag of muesli. Opened up the bag and, well, I couldn't open it and it exploded. Um, and half of it went, some of it went in my hair. A little bit of muesli ended up in my moustache. And then another little bit stuck to the lapel of my polo shirt. Um, so that was that. And now I've just tried to butter and put some honey on a, a bio fresh biscottatate. How would you describe these biscottatates, Ned? These little um, bits of hard bread. <clears throat> How do you describe them? Euro, Euro, uh, it's a Euro rusk. A Euro rusk. <laughs> Euro. Glad to. That was just saying thank you for a coffee and fluent Italian. Uh, so yeah, a Euro, <laughs> a Euro rusk. Ned is up to something far more traditional. It looks like it's got some nice egg and, egg and bacon. Egg and bacon. But yeah. But anyway, pressed a bit too hard, shattered it again all over my lap. Um, so not a great start to the day. But hopefully things will improve later. Um, yeah, nice hotel though. Slept like an absolute log. That's the sound of the crickets. I'm out on a morning ride. I try and get out most days if I can, but today is a shorter stage. So. <clears throat> doesn't start to one. We're near Cuneo. I'm looking at a big mountain covered in snow and I'm riding up like a small valley road towards it. I'm about half distance on my ride. Just wanted you to get a sense of the fact I managed to get out on my bike sometimes. On my little folding Brompton. But yeah, well over halfway. Morale is good within the team and 
And it's honestly, the racing's wonderful, people are great. And then there's these other moments that make the Duro so fantastic. And there's these little moments of solitude, riding your bike, decompressing a little bit, uh, clearing your mind and seeing some stunning views that ordinarily you would never see because you can't choose where the Giro goes. You just, you just go with it. So another little church coming up on my right. Uh, with a mountain behind it. It's just absolutely stunning. A little wood pile to my left. Back into the sunshine now. Anyway, yep, riding your bike's brilliant, eh? especially the Giro. So we're in uh, Cogne, me and Ned have uh, just done our prep um, at the top of a mountain. We're well, not really at the top of a mountain, more of the, the end of a valley road. At the end of this of stage 15 is, isn't as challenging as some, still grippy. And we're having a, uh, a cup of coffee. I'm, I've, yeah, I, I'm, Ned's got a macchiato um, and I've got a cappuccino. But strangely, the tables have been taken at this restaurant. So we're on deck chairs, aren't we? Yeah, we're t- two pasty Brits, aren't we? Just, <laughs> just sitting. I was actually tempted to roll up my trouser leg, but then uh, that would be almost like a nod of concession towards your, your, your imperative about shorts. Yeah. Uh, concede any ground? No. Oh, oh, because these they, they're wobbly. Uh, um, you might have just heard that clatter, and Ned's now rocking backwards and forwards with his macchiato. Yours. No, they're both quite noisy. But the thing was the noisiest. You might not. You might not have heard that Ned just dropped his spectacles. Um, he bought three pairs of spectacles the other day because he sat on his own. Uh, I think. Uh, what was it? Four euros for three pairs of glasses? Four or five. Yeah, four or five. Four or five. Identical. But I've got a choice of colours, haven't I? Yeah. Um, burgundy red. Yeah. Um, exciting blue. Electric blue. <laughs> And, uh, and Gravitas Grey. Gravitas, they're the ones you normally opt for because you like a bit of Gravitas. Uh, but interestingly, that every time you, you move them or, or open the frames, they squeak. It's just, there's the sound of really, really cheap plastic. Here we go. Just about hear that. Yeah, it's just the sound of that little dogs come up as well, the sound of cheapness. Um, and also, Ned's just spotted, I'd like to say one of our friends, but he's not, he's, he's, a, he's a bloke that has been... We think he works on the Giro. And, um, and do you want to just, just describe to people who, who and what he is or what we believe him to be? We first, um, we first came across him around about, I'd say, I can't remember the name of the town. I can remember where we, but I can't remember the name of the town at all. Can you? It was a steep hill at the end, wasn't it? I can't it was, it was the same town I bought my replacement running kit in because I'd left my running That's kit right. in another hotel. That's right. I remember that much. Um, we were just sitting at this time of day having a little coffee and we saw this chap walk past and I said, look at him, he looks just like Mark Cavendish. Except, I mean, he did, he does, but there's, you know, there's 5% missing and then you identified exactly what the missing 5% was, didn't you? Yeah, and that 5% was Fernando, Fernando Gaviria. So yeah. you called him... Caviria. Caviria. So he's just popped in. You can hear our chairs going. He's just popped in the calf. We're going to try and take a photograph of him. Uh, but rather than do a, a, a sneaky one, an actual photo. And if we do manage... Actually, I might just boldly go in and just steam in there and, and, uh, and get a photo. Um, so, yeah, it looks... It's sort of Caviria. It looks like it could be the, the love child, actually. If men were able to have kids together, I think that's what he'd look like, um, weirdly. But anyway, I, we'll leave you to it. Um, and we'll see if we can get a photo of this uh, said gentleman signing off. We, we'll say we, I actually did get a photograph um, from the guy that looked like, like Caviria 
or look like Cav and Gaviria combined. Ninety five percent Cav, five percent uh, Gaviria. I couldn't. I couldn't look. I was very surprised. I would not have done that. You know, just w- walk up to someone and say, "Mate, can I take a picture of you?" Because I because uh, well, I want to. Because I <laughs> got no reason. Why. I just because it's a thing. It's for a thing. I just I need a picture of you. So just can I have a picture of you? I would not have done that. And I I, I uh, both admired and cringed at your chutzpah. Um, but I had to look the other way and pretend I didn't know you. Yeah, it was a bit awkward because I, I did it and I basically said, like, obviously Italian and my Italian is negligible. Um, just about order a beer, really. Um, but I said, can I take a photo of you? Um, it's for my friend because you look like my friend. And then I took a photo with a selfie. Then I said, can I just take another photo just pointing it in his face? And then he put his hand up. Uh, but then, But then the hand like a defensive hand turn into a really nervous and cautious thumbs up. And I, I took a photo then. But whether we can publish these photos remains to be seen. Um, but it was, a, it was a special moment uh, before the stage yesterday, an awkward moment, but I think a quite wonderful moment at the same time. Um, but, but I still feel a little bit like, oh, did I really need to do that? But, but I did it. It is confirmation to everyone we've shown the picture to that that man is Caviria. I mean, we thought it might just be you and me hallucinating, but no, he is Caviria. I'm going to say, actually, e- email us the drawing of what you think this person might look like. So it's basically a combination of, of Fernando Gaviria and Mark Cavendish, but more Cav than Fernando. Um, we're heading into the final week of racing, Ned. So looking back a week, it's been, it's still very, very tight, still very difficult to call. What has been your highlight and what are your thoughts at where the race is right now? Because there's some expected players and some unexpected players as well. And a Giro that still we cannot really call. That's true. It's been whittled down for sure. I mean, Bardet's absence is a, a real shame. Uh, that, and that, you know, caught us all on the hop completely. Uh, yes, um, uh, where, where, where are we at? Yes, we, we can't call it, but there is, a, but as always with Grand Tours, there's a sort of ominous hovering sense that at any given moment, it could be put to bed. Um, you know, the next stage, the next stage might be an opportunity f- for one or other rider to put it to bed, actually. Um, but I think what you have to do is just think about the unexpected, like you say, the, the, the riders who are doing unexpectedly well in various different ways. And I think Jai Hindley, it's no disrespect to him to say, you know, after his anaissance, so to speak, last year, is is um, riding stronger than he rode when he um, finished on the podium in 2020 and uh, and he looks the real deal and the way he the way he's sticking it to Carapaz and the others in these uh, you know when they come in a small group <laughs> repeatedly Carapaz hasn't beaten him over the line yet that's really significant or could be um and then the other uh, the other uh, we were talking about this the other day the other kind of you know dark horse to, uh, outstanding performance is, is Nibali and is you know he's delighting the home nation and we haven't seen even the merest flickerings of this kind of form really so it has come from nowhere um but but, but that that stage in the, the the race day so far was that stage in Turin I think apart from the amazing Napoli stage but in terms of the GC battle that that Turin stage was incredible and the way Nibali closed the gap to Carapaz on that steepest part of the um uh, what was it called the Colle delle Madonna um, Madalena, it was um, the the way he closed. So it was the most unnibbly like acceleration on an unnibbly like slope, wasn't it? And that caught the eye um, because I don't think you can. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. I don't think you can do that on on slopes that don't normally bring the best out of you unless you are going incredibly well. I think you're right. It was um, something we didn't expect. And the other thing we didn't expect in, in that stage was Richard Carapaz being completely isolated. 
And I think one of the big stories, um, aside from the emergence of Jai Hindley, this re, almost like a, a mini renaissance, how long it continues, it remains to be seen for Vincenzo Nibali. But the way that Bora Hansgrohe planned, looked at that stage and decided uh, with it's a, and Enrico Gasparotto, who is uh, their direct sportif, looked at that stage a long time ago. And, and the GC un has unfurled as it did to that particular point and said, okay, this is the only stage I think that we can make a difference. We know that the Ineos Grenadiers are dominant in the mountains. They can control, can almost strangle the life out of the race sometimes, which is a good and a bad thing, but we can be incredibly disruptive. And we've, we've never seen uh, a leader of that team in the, the various iterations isolated so early. And that, that was, was, I think it's, I think it was brilliant. I think it was, a, I think it was an absolute masterstroke the way they rode. Um, Wilco Kelderman, that, that turn he did on the front, Aliotti, um, who we don't know too much about, but that was, that was a ruddy, you know, it, it was astonishing. Um, but it's really set the race up quite nicely, isn't it? And I mean, we're going into the, the final phase. Carapaz only has seven seconds over Hindley. Almeida's riding is interesting to me as well. He's, he's still there looking very dangerous, but he's, he hasn't shown anything apart from not being brilliant, but then somehow clawing it back. There's a strange and worrying calmness about the way that he's carrying himself through this race. Yeah, and then some really weird tactics from UAE that I'm not quite sure I have. I was thinking about them today again uh, when I went for a run, and I, I just don't know. I don't really know. I don't really know what it was all about, unless it was a kind of strange psychological play of like I'm still in this race because you know. The, the, the context of this is nothing happened in the GC race in the stage to Konya stage 15 yesterday it was complete apart from Guillaume Martin that's another story um, but the only the only inkling that something might happen was when first Diego Ulissi and then latterly Davide Formula from the breakaway worked on the front for UAE team Emirates and Almeida sat in second wheel and kind of the pace went up but only very briefly because it just didn't, you know you can do that tactic but you need to bore a hand score don't you um, not just one rider so it was odd, to say the least. But I wonder whether it was just—it was just a—I don't know. I really can't. What would you? What do you make of it? I don't know because okay. we're, it was inexplicable. I, I honestly don't know. Um, the only thing I can think, and this is really reading between the lines, um, and a lot of what we're talking about now was didn't actually make it to air uh, because we have a main screen which we look at, which everybody else sees at home with the graphics overlaid, and that's that's how we call the race. We also have another screen just to, to my right, to Ned's right, um, which shows you the heli shots and the other motos that aren't being used. And then, and then the gallery in the OB truck, the director will pick and choose. And there was some interesting play gone away. I don't think it actually, it might have gone on screen briefly when Diego Ulissi went on the front, but for the life of me, I don't know why they did it, unless they sensed weakness in a certain rider. There was a rider a little bit further back. They wanted to maybe get rid of one or two, but I, I honestly don't know. For the life of me, it was a very strange move. Um, but it set things up wonderfully for this, Ridiculous! Oh, another point, Ned. Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, sorry. No, it's actually you. You're literally about to tee it up. Um, yeah, the the final week, in terms of the GC race. Now, the weather, I think, is going to be a real factor. This is feels like the last day of summer now, doesn't it? It's still very warm here, but from everything we've been reading, um, the, the 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 rain is coming in. It's coming in quite fast, and it's going to last most of next week in the mountains. And we're going and we're going up to altitude, and the big ones are are, are rearing up now, and no one copes with those better in that selection of, of GC riders and Vincenzo Nibli in the wet and cold and on the descents and if he's, he's going as well as he can um, yeah it's his last Giro as well don't forget that we think unless he changes his mind but it's his last Giro so he's going to want to do something isn't he and it could light the race up I, I, I out of that group 
and it was never going to uh, when when uh, uh, Simon Yates attacked um, did a, did a great ride to win the stage really tactically astute uh, but the, his interview his post race interview was really bizarre and I think just underlined how disappointed he is at not you know, at being um, and not being in the frame for the GC but that's another side story but the emergence of Vincenzo Nibali I think as a as a potential threat he only sits at two minutes fifty eight seconds and if you look through to a couple of years ago when when he won more than that four or five years ago when he won last he overturned a three minute 50 deficit with two days to go um, and we have some ridiculously hard terrain we've got one time trial 17 k's last stage one stage for the sprinters a medium mountain stage and essentially three mountain top finishes a couple of them just crest the top but it's ridiculously hard we've still got the chima copy to come the highest point in the Giro, and tomorrow's stage finishing here in aprika is another long one isn't it? it's going to be a six and a half hour epic by the sounds of it so lots to play for but we know that that Nibali is very dangerous and, and we've not seen him in form like this. I think for me, he's the excited one. And also, although I don't think he'll win the Giro, Domenico Pozzavivo sitting at one minute and one seconds is nothing short of revelatory, is it? No, it's amazing. It's, and he looks more broken than ever. Bless him, doesn't he? I mean, he just looks as... Yeah, there's nothing There's nothing aesthetically pleasing about the way he races, but he's racing his heart out at this Giro. And his ambition of finishing top 10 in this, in this Giro looks um, pretty certain uh, now, pretty nailed on. Uh, less certain for our friend Guillaume Martin, who's, who's kept us really royally entertained. And of all the GC players yesterday, in a very sterile day on stage 15, he was the only one who did anything. Um, and uh, we, we just full of admiration for him because... If he pulls us off, his his stated aim, I don't think he has stated it, I've st- I'm stating it on his behalf, um, but he will, you know, if he finishes in the top 10, if in fact, if he finishes ninth, I think that's right, isn't it? He'll have finished ninth on on, on successive Grand Tours. And we were talking about this, and we, we were trying to remember the last rider who might have finished top 10 in successive Grand Tours. Now, one sprang instantly to mind because he won them all, <laughs> and that was Chris Froome. But, I mean, but other than that, uh, crikey, answers on a postcard, please, to whatever your e- e- email, email. No, you can't send a postcard to an email address. That's ridiculous. Send a postcard to an email address. Just scan it. It's a scan it and send and, and attach it as JPEG or a PDF. Yeah. Um, podcast at sigmasports.com. It's it's been a great Giro so far. We've, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, we haven't even talked about the sprints. Arnold Demar dominant. Three stage wins to the good. Um, but Mark Cavendish, Springy, or Gaviria is still there or thereabouts, but there's only one more stage for the sprinters, uh, and that comes on stage 18, I think. So lots to look forward to. Ned, it's been an absolute pleasure. But um, I'm still going to be with you all afternoon, so I'm not saying goodbye to you now. It's just for the purposes of the podcast. It's just pretending, is it? Can I have, can I have my microphone back? Well, you can't, well, just give us a couple of moments, but you can have it back, yeah. So, guys, um, I haven't got anything written down, but no, thanks very much for listening. You're not watching. It is a, uh, it's an audio uh, podcast. Most podcasts are. Uh, it's an oral experience that I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, Ned, thanks very much for, for coming with me and sitting down with me <laughs> in Aprika. We can see, we can't see the finish line, but in my mind I can. Um, and it does feel that, uh, well, I'm just tired. Um, I'm looking across the road. There's a, a carving of a bear and a tree wrapped in pink. Um, we'll be seeing you next week. Um, in the meantime, you know where we're at on social media. Thanks for listening. Take care and see you very soon. That's a rambling closure, wasn't it?